Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah, oh, special treat. We get to talk college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, tampabay.com. We're going to solve all the problems we have in this this special Sports Day Tampa Bay podcast and also get you ready for the national championship game, which figures to be uh, just a great one. Some more on Michael Penix Jr., Dade City, Tampa's own, if you will. So lots coming up uh, about college football, the debacle at Florida State and the Orange Bowl, all of that in just a minute right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. But first, uh, let's start with some news that was breaking well, there's a couple items involving the Bucks, actually. Baker Mayfield's health and then the Pro Bowl. We'll start with Baker Mayfield, Steve, because and we'll do more about this when we talk about the game tomorrow. But Baker Mayfield, they have a walkthrough, you know, on Wednesdays, and there's no helmets, there's no shoulder, there's nothing, right? It's it's like I said, it's a walkthrough. But the NFL requires teams to say whether a player would have been full participant. Uh, limited participant or out for that practice. And Baker Mayfield would not have practiced had they had one on Wednesday. Now, is that overly daunting? Not necessarily because, again, it's Wednesday. You're you're doing a walkthrough. Uh, however, it's clear to me that, you know, the hit that he took uh, is, is one that's discomforting to the degree that uh, – you don't know exactly what you're going to get on Sunday. I, I think he's going to play. He made it clear that he has every intention of playing. He's like, look, this is you know for the division title. Uh, you know, uh, It's against Carolina, which he's motivated to play. So, yeah, I think he plays every plan and, and probably will start the game on Sunday. What I wonder is how, how good he will be on two levels. One, it's a pain management thing, okay? So until you get in the game and you're either taking hits or moving a certain way with your arms, your shoulders, your torso, your core, you really don't know what kind of discomfort you're going to be in. And then two, he's going to likely to sustain more hits. We know that Baker Mayfield doesn't shy away from contact. Now, he might have to protect himself a little bit more, but does that take away from his game? Is he taking sacks and trying to you know go into the fetal position more? And if there's one thing Carolina has – it's a good pass rush. It's a good defensive front. Uh, and they gave these guys a little trouble at times when they played them uh, earlier in the year. So I th- I'm pretty confident Baker will play the game, play in the game. But they're going to give Kyle Trask uh, all the reps, I think. Uh, if I had to guess, Baker won't practice on Thursday. Friday will probably be the first time he does something. Uh, and then the other part of it is when you don't practice, and we saw this with Trevor Lawrence when he came in here with Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence was battling some things, uh, concussion protocol mainly at that time. When you don't practice, you're not very sharp in games. That's the one thing I've learned throughout the years, and I don't care if it's the quarterback uh, or the tight end or whomever you're talking about. If it's a key player and he doesn't get to actually do things during the week, it's hard to turn it on for those three hours. You know, So I would have a level of concern for Baker Mayfield. Now, if they got to play Kyle Trask, Steve, I would just say this. If Kyle Trask has been on this roster now for going on three years, almost the end of three years, and he's the number two quarterback on this team, who is he supposed to come in for and beat if not a 2-14 and 14 Carolina team that has absolutely nothing to play for? If he can't get that job done with the players around him, just be a facilitator, you really shouldn't have him as your backup quarterback. Well, you know, you always say if your backup quarterback's playing, you want him to win one game. That's right. If you got to play one game, you want him to win yeah. one game. You got to yeah. play three games, you want him to win one game. But <laughs> Carolina is the team, if you can't beat that or at least play well, I mean, other things can factor in a loss, let's say. But Of course. But if you can't handle play yourself winning football. And, and play winning football and get put your team in, in a position to win, right? then, yeah, after three years, 
Look, there's a reason he hasn't started yet in three years. And he was, there was a quarterback competition, and he really didn't get a sniff at it. I mean, they started him a game in preseason, but it was Baker's from the beginning. And there's a reason for it. Now, sometimes you get your shot and, and you make it work. And if he gets a shot this weekend, maybe he'll impress. Maybe he'll he'll ball out and, and show something that no one's expecting. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Bucks, you really want Baker Mayfield starting this game. No question. And, and that would be the case, you know, no matter what the circumstances were. I mean, you've got a chance to go to the playoffs. You obviously want your starter. Um, but they don't – they have an unknown. Like, it's weird because we say it's an unknown. I think they know. Uh, you know, he, he has thrown 10 passes in his career. Um, he played the final game of last season in Atlanta, came in around halftime or whatnot, went three for nine, uh, not particularly sharp to say the least. And then this year, if you recall, Baker Mayfield got hurt in the first drive on a quarterback sneak in Indianapolis, and Trask came in and, and threw a stick route or a corner route to the back pylon and missed, I think it was Mike Evans or Godwin, one of them. Uh, that was his only only appearance, and then the next series, Baker was back in there. So three out of ten is his uh, NFL career, which doesn't nec- is not a big sample size, obviously. Um, but uh, he has not played. He he is a relative newbie uh, that would be having to be called upon in the biggest game, not just of the season, maybe in Todd Bowles' head coaching career, right? Uh, Todd Bowles has kind of been in this spot before, not with a backup quarterback, but there was one other time that he had a chance to win the final game and go to the playoffs, and they lost. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was a quarterback they went 10-6 and six that year, and they needed to win the final game, and I think Fitzpatrick threw a couple interceptions. Well, that's all you need to know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. How many years did he play? Did he ever make the playoffs? Uh, don't know that he did. Don't know that he did. Uh, have to check that. But um, he certainly didn't make it that day because he had a bad day, and they lost the game, and they didn't make the postseason. So the last time Todd Bowles was in this situation, yeah, it didn't go too well for him. Um, but I, I just say this is that, listen, teams win games. You, your quarterback has to play well, and you can't turn it over, and all those things you know, certainly apply. Um, but if this football team isn't much, much better than what Carolina shows up with. Now, it's the NFL, so everybody on that other squad is an NFL player. You can't dismiss that. This is not you know, Vanderbilt that you're playing, okay? Uh, so, but... I do believe that the kind of year Carolina has had, uh, the the coach getting fired after 11 games, the quarterback just getting totally abused. Like last week, they didn't even have 130 yards of total offense, right? And it, it just seems to me like this is set up so well uh, that that you almost can't screw it up, but for the fact that, well, can your starting quarterback get through it, right? And we'll just have to see. That's going to be something to watch closely during the game. And, again, Carolina's got some pretty big guys on that defensive front that will be hard to hard to contain and keep keep off Baker. So it's going to be interesting just to uh, figure out how that all goes down. I think Carolina also, threw drinks further than they threw the ball last week. <laughs> well, yeah, they can do that. <laughs> Jesus, what a mess. How do you how do you find the owner only $300,000 when that's like 1% of 1% of his total – because uh, the league works for the owners. I know, but at least at least say if the fine's not going to be very He should be uh, fined $300,000 for that statement that he didn't bother to apologize. It was terrible. Uh, if the fine's not going to be adequate, then do this. Tell him he can't go to a game or two. Just make him stay home. You know what I mean? Like, okay, your punishment is you don't act well at games, so therefore you're going to stay away from a couple of them. That's what I would do. Because you know, all he's going to do probably is fire a couple employees that make one hundred fifty thousand each. <laughs> get his get his uh, get his fine paid for that way. But what a mess! This and that's the other thing about this Carolina team. This is a very dysfunctional season, a horribly dysfunctional franchise. And I think Daniel Snyder will be viewed as a saint compared to this guy before it's all said and done. So I don't know. We'll talk more about the game. Obviously, get you ready for it tomorrow. Uh, and you know. It, it, there's none bigger. There hasn't been one this big in quite some time, especially for this coaching regime. Uh, one other uh, item to discuss is the Pro Bowl. 
the uh, selections are out. I don't know how many players that the Bucks actually expected, um, but it, it's not what I expected. Uh, congratulations, however, though, to Mike Evans. And this makes sense to me. He leads the NFL in touchdown receptions with 13. Um, you know, he's, you know, tw- over 1,200 yards, you know, his 10th straight season of 1,000 yards or more. Uh, and at times he's been a dominant player. And I, I'm glad that he's getting his recognition because he's kind of recognized for not being recognized. You know, like you can be so underrated that you're now rated because everybody just talks about how underrated you are. Um, but I think when you lead the NFL in something for a season, right, like touchdown catches, I don't. I, I think you have to be given that, you know. And and so he was. But should so he be Evans, a starter? Well, I mean, you could argue that he should be for sure. Uh, but again, I think what a lot of Tampa players suffer from, and I think it happened this year, is this small market, right? A third of the voting is fans, uh, and so. When you have a small market and people don't vote or don't care, no one nationally really pays attention to Tampa unless Tom Brady's here and then everybody makes the Pro Bowl. Um, But when the networks aren't televising you, when you're going to 1% of the country and all of that, uh, it's a third of the voting. And and not one Tampa Bay player, by the way, including Mike Evans, was in the top 10, I don't think, of fan voting. Uh, I have to check with Evans. It might might not be the case with him, but I think every other position, they weren't even in the top ten, um, which is you know sort of an indictment on on the market as much as anything. The starting receivers are the Cowboys, C.D. Lamb. That's having fair. a great year. Yeah, phenomenal year. And then the Eagles, A.J. Brown, who started really really well. I think he had at one point like six or seven straight one hundred yard games. Not so much of the last five games. I think he has like one touchdown. So he's been struggling of late, but again, Philadelphia, big market, team in the Super Bowl a year ago. I get it. You know, I'm just glad that Mike is is on the team on on you know is a selection now. The snubs, uh, and there are many, but there are a couple that are pretty. I think pretty bright here with the Bucks, and that is let's start with Antoine Winfield Jr. I don't get this at all. Um, I don't know what else Antoine Winfield Jr. would have to do. To make a Pro Bowl, he's made one, right? Um, but my goodness, I mean, this guy has filled up every category on defense. He's their best player, maybe on the team, but he's their best player on defense. He's got 117 tackles. He has five tackles for loss. How about these? Five sacks, five forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, three interceptions. Like, man. When you're creating that much havoc at one position, much less free safety, I don't know what else could you have done, right? Like it, it, it's just it's a big slight, and nothing against the guys that you know that made the team per se, um, but holy cow, you know, like I expected Jesse Bates from from Atlanta, all right, and I don't know exactly why. You know, they they have two strong safeties. I don't think it really matters per se, but like, yeah, it's just Antoine Winfield Jr. has to be on this team. And he probably will go because he's a first alternate and there'll be somebody that, you know, that's either in the championship or, or bows out or whatnot. And so he will be when it's all said and done. But so Jesse Bates, you know, from the Falcons. And then, it's, and then um You've got uh, Trent Williams. Is for, oh, oh, the other one was Tristan Wirfs is, is not on the team. He's the first alternate as well. And I thought Wirfs was deserving. Trent Williams from the Eagles, Lane Johnson, and uh, the Lions, Panay Sewell. All those guys are really, really good, you know. And this was this was Wirfs' first year as a left tackle. He did give up some sacks. He's played through a lot of injuries. But he's deserving. And, and ultimately, I think he'll probably go too. All right, we got the most exciting part of college football, the national semifinals. Lots to talk about how we're going to fix the game and all of that with Matt Baker coming up. But first, I want to remind you guys that for the past 14 years, that's right, the skilled pros of May Electric Solar have been installing solar energy systems all the state of Florida. They provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods and service while helping homeowners cut energy costs with an environmentally friendly investment. May Electric Solar 
uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors. They've always offered the safest and most reliable equipment. Now, May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement and labor warranty. That means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insure, means that your roof, your electrical, and equipment replacement is all covered. Solar Insure even survives May Electric Solar. It's owned by the homeowner with no deductibles or additional fees. Now, this policy will transfer to new homeowners with no fee. This is not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of their workmanship has earned this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Best time of the week? No, best time of the year. We get to talk college football with Matt Baker with the national championship game looming. More importantly, Matt, uh, let's see if we can fix college football because you're the guy I'm electing as commissioner for the night. Oh, thank and- God. Because <laughs> it needs one, and I can't think of a better person. But let's start at uh, probably the bottom of the barrel, and that is the Orange Bowl that you attended and God bless Florida State and those players who who decided to go out there and give it the old college try. Uh, it did not resemble anything that we saw from Florida State during the year, and for good reason. Um, but when you see Georgia do what they did, and in, what was it, like a 60-point win, it, it makes a mockery of the bowl system for a lot of reasons that we'll get into. Um, but just take me into that situation because, look, this team went from we're thirteen and zero undefeated. Oh, we lost our quarterback. Now we're not allowed to compete for the national championship. To one of the most humbling nights I think I've seen in college football. Yeah, humbling is a good place to start. I mean, yeah. going into it, I, I thought a blowout was was certainly possible, if not plausible. I mean, a bunch of us in the press box at, at Hard Rock Stadium were looking up most lopsided losses, most lopsided Orange Bowl, all that, and we were somewhat serious but i don't think i expected 63 to 3 i mean rick i think that is the worst college game i've ever seen (laughs) i would agree with you at least when you see like you know i I think i covered uh in the the title year with florida state it was like murray state or savannah state one of them Mm. but at least when you cover one of those lopsided fcs games you know like okay the starters at florida state i'm looking to see how they you know how how is this new running back? How is this new left tackle? You know, whatever it is, you're you're getting stuff from it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I did not get much from the other night. Um, I mean, Brock Glenn has a really nice arm and can move around a little bit. Uh, there were a couple of receivers who had a flash or two. Patrick Payton, the defensive end, he's really good still, and he's going to be great next year. There were a, a couple tiny pieces, but li- by and large, it was so bad and so lopsided that it, it was a waste. I mean, and again, I don't, I don't blame the players here. I, I, I do not. I don't blame the players who stayed. I don't blame the players who were thrown into situations they weren't ready for. I don't blame the players who left. It's not them. They were doing what's best for them, and, and you know what? I can't say that I would do anything differently. It's the system. It's the system that allowed for that to happen. And yes, Florida State could have more depth. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of things here. Um, one thing I, I am going to defend Florida State here, just because I saw some people after the game talking about this is FSU's FSU's got bad culture. You know, this is the problem with all the transfers because they're mercenaries. No, it's not. You know, I, I remember talking to you and writing um, either before and after the the Cheez It Bowl last year, where. You know, Jared Verse played and then actually stayed another year when he didn't have to. And Johnny Wilson and Trey Benson and a lot of the guys who made Florida State in twenty and you know this year really really good chose to come back, and that was a sign to me and, and to some degree of the culture that FSU had. So you can't tell me that the culture was a major reason for last year and it showed up then, and then they went thirteen and zero, and now the culture is terrible. No, it's it's not that. It, this is a, this is a situation and a system that. From the Bulls' perspective, it's broken. I don't see how you can say otherwise. And the, the thing that jumped out to me, you know, I, I was in, you know, I went to the Florida State locker room briefly and, and walked with Mike Norvell to the, the press conference because honestly, I had no idea where it was. And then I, I go to those interviews and then I go upstairs and I'm writing. And the, the Georgia press conference is, is being played over the speakers. 
And Kirby Smart went out of his way to answer a question that was not addressed to him to say, people need to see what happens, what happened tonight, and they need to fix it. That to me was a, a you know, very, very telling because he didn't have to say anything. He could have said, yeah, screw those guys. We beat their tails. I don't care who was on the t- field. We won. They lost. Use us in recruiting. He could have done any number of things. But he chose unprompted to say that this is thing – he didn't use the word broken, but if it needs to be fixed, clearly it's broken. He did that, and that tells me when the guy on the other side, the winning sideline who won by 60 points, is telling you there's a problem, there's a problem. Yeah, and, and it clearly is. And, and I guess I have a couple questions. One would be, um, look, there, the disappointment at Florida State when they – were not part of the national championship semifinals was palatable, right? Mm-hmm. You can understand their frustration, um, even if they, you know, even if they looked at the committee and said, "Well, we get that we're not the same team, but we felt we earned it." So, how many players at Florida State, and I, because I don't know this, were were thinking about, "Hey, I'm not going to help." the bull process or the NCAA here if they're going to screw us. In other words, was it was it simply an individual choice based on their futures and, and potential of injury, or was there a bit of a protest think tank that went on with that roster? I don't think it was a protest necessarily. I, I, I think it was a, look, we did everything that we were supposed to do, and we did not have a chance to win a championship. What's the point? You know what? I'm gone. I, I think that was more of it. Um, at that point, I think the feeling, you know, they were hurt. I mean, they were crushed. I don't think yeah. that's an exaggeration. No. And, and I, I don't blame them. So I think that was what it was, is you know what? I, I've done everything that I could, and it wasn't enough. I don't have anything left to give here. I gave it my all, and it didn't work out, and I'm done. And so I think that's why Florida State had more opt-outs than a lot of the other programs. Mm-hmm. But again, we, we, can't, we can't pretend like Florida State's the only school that has had this. Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't play, and Drake May, and, and Caleb Williams. This is, it was the most extreme example, for sure. But this has been going on for years because the NFL has proven, that they showed, they do not care. When Christian McCaffrey opted out, I think it was the Sun Bowl, and uh, Leonard Fournette opted out of the Citrus Bowl or whatever it was, I think it was, that was 16 or 17, and the NFL didn't care. At that point, all bets are off. And, and you know, players opted out in, in the COVID year. Different circumstances, I, I understand. And, but the NFL, my point is the NFL didn't care about that either. So the NFL has shown that it doesn't matter. So to a lot of those players, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. And, and again, I can't. I don't blame any of the players, these 22-year-olds, doing what they think is best for their futures. I, I cannot begrudge any of them for any of the decisions they made, no matter what it was. All right, so let's get into what can be done. I mean, I think, first and foremost, they've got to change the calendar with respect to the transfer portal. Um, but that aside, um, you know, the expansion of the playoff system might make other bulls more relevant if you're if you're playing for something and it's not just four teams. So there's that. So that might help. Um, but but you know, in general, like these guys are looking to go to the NFL, and there is an injury risk when they play games that aren't going to win titles. Um, so I'm I'm not sure. I've heard people suggest that maybe they should play the bowl games at the beginning of the year instead of at the end. Like, what what are some of the things you think that can save the system? Because look, um, maybe the orange, the rolls, the rose, the sugar, and, and the cotton bowl are okay. But I got news for you. I, I drove by the ReliaQuest, thought I'd hit traffic, and didn't on the way to one buck place right at the kickoff or an hour before. Uh, they sold about I don't know how many tickets, but there was no one in the upper levels. These other bowl games aren't going to exist unless TV just wants to take a, you know, just have programming, and and that's what they're paying for. Yeah, the the bowl system has to figure out what it wants to be, is is the root of the issue here. Go back, you know, 100 years or whatever, bowls were started to boost tourism during the dry winter months, during this time of year. that's That's why they started, and that's why they spread. And does that make sense now? Is that should that be the goal to to 
have something where I'm in Wisconsin, it's cold, I want to go somewhere for Christmas, great, we'll go to Tampa for a couple of days. Is that the goal? I, no, I, I can't say that it is. Um, okay, so let's, let, let's put moving the game in terms of the time of year. I think that needs to be on the table because what made sense 100 years ago doesn't make sense now. Um, you're right about attendance with, 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 with bowl games as a whole. That is a, that is a legitimate thing. Um, but I, we have to remember college football is as great as it is in stadium. And, and I love it. I love it more than everything, but my wife, my dog and, and my son, I say this all the time, but it's a TV product. It is a TV property. That's what it is for. The bulls exist. Most of them now are owned by ESPN and it's to give you and me something to do on the Tuesday before Christmas or after Christmas when we're wrapping presents or hanging out with family, that's why they exist because people watch them and people gamble on them as well. I, I can't minimize that. So I say that because if, if these are TV properties, if that's the goal now, the product was terrible the other night. So something needs to change. Um, I, I think moving them to the spring would be one idea. Maybe it's a uh, something at the end of spring ball where instead of the garnet and gold game, blue and orange game, whatever, then Florida State plays Georgia. Uh, USF plays Syracuse on that. You know, maybe that's one way to make it work. I, I don't think the moving it to week zero, I don't think that's a bad idea either in terms of giving it some sort of preseason or something like that. Because again, there, there's some sort of stakes there, right? Where... You know, I, I'm a Florida State, Florida State fan. I want to see how my new quarterback goes, you know, how he looks against somebody else. Like that type of thing could be real and more important than my ones against your twos, which is what it was the other night. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Um, there, the, the December calendar as a whole in college football is a mess, an absolute mess, because you've got high school recruiting for the, you know, mid-December early signing day. You've got the transfer portal going on. You've got bowl preparation. You know, next year you're going to have teams not getting ready for the Citrus Bowl, getting ready for a playoff game early. Like, it, and then you've got the coaching carousel. There's so much going on. Something needs to give there. Um, I would think early signing day is one thing that can give. Maybe you move it to before this the season. Maybe you move, you know, just get rid of it and have it in February. Maybe you decide that. Uh, you know, there is no signing day. Uh, I offer you a scholarship. You can sign whenever you want, as long as I can, as long as I still choose to accept it. There's, there's stuff like that where you can make December a little bit better and free coaches up a little bit more. Um, you know, there, there's other possibilities as well. Um, I think at some point, uh, rev, you know, money, right? Uh, if I am risking injury to play in the cheese it bowl or the Relia quest bowl or the, the, the orange bowl, I should be, maybe I need to be compensated. You know, the coaches get a bonus for going to a bowl game. Um, the athletic directors get a bonus for, for going to a bowl game. Maybe we need to start giving players bonuses. Maybe we need to do NIL deals where Capital One uh, sponsored the Orange Bowl and they, you know, maybe they think, you know what, more eyeballs will be on our brand with more people in the game. So maybe we need to compensate the players too. I think we kind of have to think radical because this situation you know, it's a system that was set up decades ago, and it's not working now. Well, it is about here's here's the root of all evil. I'm not breaking news here. I think you can see this in biblical times. It's money, okay. Mm -hmm. And the reason why bowl games worked in my early childhood and up until whenever they didn't uh, is because college football, Matt, and you know this by and large, was a regional sport. Right, like Joe Paterno could lose two games every year, all right. But if he got to go to the Orange Bowl, yippee! You know that was considered a good year. Oh, bowl game down in you know down in Florida, that's awesome, right? Like you said, get out of the cold, whatever. But if you watch Penn State, you only watch the Big Ten, right? Or primarily watch the Big Ten. You know, it it, it just seemed like everybody. You know, you're in the if you're in the West Coast, you watch the Pac-12, and it was about the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl only. If you, you know what I'm saying, like. Now it's this national conglomerate that no one can seem to control, and it's going to end up with just two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, and, oh, by the way, it wasn't interesting that soon-to-be Washington, you know, that the SEC is not part of the national championship this year. But uh, I, 
I don't. You can't put that back in the bottle, right? We can't. We can't move nope. the clock, the, the the world back to the you know to the seventies and eighties. So, yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be dramatic. Something dramatic that would have to sort of incorporate this system within what is now becoming, uh, you know, professional football, basically. And that's that's exactly. I mean, to some degree where it is, and that's where it's going, right? Like, let's let's just be honest about it. This, sure. That's my thing. Let's just be honest about it. Yeah. And it's an enormous business mm-hmm. for everybody. The players less so, but but, but more than it partners. was five years now, ago. Yeah, yeah, now they're partners. And it's going to go to a point where they need to, they're going to have to be a bigger part of the equation in terms of how does this get fixed? Because... Mm-hmm. Look, player mobility is not changing. You know, there's only so much you can do in terms of moving the transfer portal window around if school matters. And, and, and I mean that sincerely, right? Like if you're going to transfer from one school, you know, if I'm going to transfer from Northwestern to Michigan, um, I want to do it between semesters. So I need to be enrolled by January 5th, January 8th, whatever it is. So that means I'm looking for a home right now. So as long as the academics are still a factor here, the portal is going to be an issue. So is, at what point do we need to think about academics' role in this um, and, and the college part of college football? You know, I, It's not just me saying that. Uh, I know plenty of, of administrators who have been talking about this and thinking about this. And Kirby Smart himself said before the game, again, before 63-3, to when he was asked about the December chaos, basically said, we need to decide whether they're student athletes or, or what student athlete means. And he's a hundred percent right because the idea that to the extent that stu- the student part of student athletes has always been first, however much you agree with that, it's not as much anymore. There are other factors at play and we can pretend like they're not there, or we can actually look and talk to the elephant in the room and figure out what needs to be done. And the bowl system is just one part of it because the bulls look, the bulls controlled a lot of the sport for way too long. You know, what did the game the other night end at like one in the morning or whatever? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So why did the game end at one in the morning? The game ended at one in the morning, Rick, because they sold so damn many commercials. Well, not, not just that because in a normal world where there is a, a human being where I have the authority that you granted me at the start of the show to be the commissioner. Yeah. I say, you know what? Let's have these kickoff times be intelligent. It, where, where my kid can stay up and watch the game because he mm-hmm. wants to. And mm-hmm. and there's lots of other six-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds and, shoot, 37-year-olds who want to do that too. The problem is the Rose Bowl has decided they can only kick off at 5 p.m. on New Year's Day so that the sunset off the mountains is around the time it's the fourth quarter starts. That's it. That's that's not a joke. That is the serious well, truth. I, and it, look, it's very it's very beautiful. Those San it's, Gabriel it's beautiful, mountains and the sunset. But it, and, but, but it would be beautiful at the start of the second quarter with that as the second game, <laughs> right? True. Like, yeah. or it, the, the 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 sunset would also look pretty on January eighth. Not like, or you know whatever. Like, you can move this around and make this work. The Rose oh, you're Bowl killing is not, the tradition, cost- man. You're just killing more tradition for me. Look, it's a pretty sunset. I've seen it. And you know what, Rick? I actually saw it on, uh, what day was that? January 7th, maybe, the, the Florida State-Auburn game. It, it kicked off um, in Pasadena at whatever time it was. I saw the sunset, and it wasn't on January 1st. And it was still uh, very pretty. Still very nice then, yeah. It, it was. It's not like the, the stars aligned and only on it New Year's Day. It didn't last longer that day, did it? Or was it just No, no. And here's the thing. is the January 1st. Only doesn't work on Sundays ah. when it, when it's NFL day. Then it, the, the sun's the prettiest sunset moves to January second. It's the darndest thing. Hmm. So my, my point is that the, the bull system has had, I would say, too much influence over the years, and that is changing and needs to continue changing because what is what worked 15 years ago and 50 years ago doesn't work now, and what I witnessed firsthand, the the four you know the 60 minutes of carnage. At Hard Rock Stadium, it is a testament to that. Give me three names. I know you got more. Give me three names for the commissioner of college football. David Shaw, the former Stanford coach. I like it. He is very, very well respected. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and a Stanford grad. 
yes, and a Stanford guy. He knows the sport, did it at a high level. Um, I think he's a good human being, which I don't mm-hmm. say lightly in this business. Right. And he's he's also been involved during the transfer portal NIL era. So he's not going to be like completely clueless either. It might um, be. Yeah, he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. I think Oliver Luck would be somebody who would mm-hmm. be, um, you know, he's been involved in the NCAA and all sorts of uh, football organizations. Yeah. yeah, I think he would be somebody. And then I guess a, a wild card of sorts, Condoleezza Rice. Mm. Um, you know, again, universally, wh- say what you want about her politics, but she's a brilliant, brilliant woman who is very invested in college sports. And I think her background would, she would have some common sense approaches with what are we doing here? So those would be three of the first names that would come to my mind. Trust her with a nation. Can you trust her with college football? I would think so. Um, Those are great. Those are really good. All right. So let's, let's kind of move a little bit onto the field just a bit here and uh, we'll stick with Florida state. And their quarterback situation, okay, Brock Lenz showed some promise. Uh, he might be looking to go somewhere else too now because we see where D.J. Ungle from Oregon State via Clemson is now headed to the Seminoles. What can you tell me about uh, that acquisition? Yeah, D.J. Ungle would not have been my first choice or my second choice if I were picking portal guys. So what, what was interesting to me is when I read what Mike Norvell said in his statement after the Seminoles announced him. And he said something along the lines of that the high percentage of big play, uh, you know, of big plays that Uyunglele had. And I started thinking about and, lo- and looking it up. And he, he was, I think, in the top 25 nationally with, with throws of at least 20 yards, uh, completions of at least 20 yards at Oregon State. Now, that's a meaningful stat because it's not like Oregon State had, you know, these, they didn't have Washington's receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that tells me he's making good throws and is able to make some explosive plays with his arm. And why does that matter? That matters because Mike Norvell's offense, going back to Memphis, is big plays. It's explosive. It's an offense built for playmakers is what he said. So that to me is why this is an interesting fit where DJ would not have been my first choice, but maybe there's something in there that Norvell sees and has seen and you know obviously he's played against him he knows what he's talking about there um where that made him the fit that he can get the ball to playmakers and give them chances to make the big time plays that florida state's going to need for their offense to work the way it has in the past so that that's why that's an interesting fit it's interesting i when he and this is a long time ago but when i watched him at clemson he wasn't a very accurate didn't seem to be a very accurate passer but if he's got the ability to get it downfield that's a talent in and of itself. Speaking of uh, transfer portal quarterbacks, tell me about UCF and KJ Jefferson. Yeah, that I think is a really, really good match. You know, KJ is a tank. I mean, he's listed at, I think it's it like 247. He's a big Jeez. dude. Yeah, he's a monster. And I saw him in the swamp where he was, he's not the greatest passer in the world, but he's good enough and he is a load to bring down. And a, he's hard running. I think he's going to be a really good match at UCF just because of, of Gus Malzahn and what he's done in the past. He likes a quarterback who can run. Um, he's you know, very old school in, in his mentality in, in some ways, Gus is. And obviously the you know, best Gus quarterback was that mm-hmm. Cam Newton fella okay, who yeah. also was a freaking tank and hard to bring down. <laughs> uh, Katie Jefferson is not Cam Newton. No, let's, let's, let's not get crazy. But I think that's another um, really good match there. And, you know, Katie Jefferson and, uh, was somebody that, maybe, you know, Miami was a potential link there. Miami's still looking for a quarterback. Um, and, and while we're talking on, on quarterbacks, I want to hit on, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to hit on two others that are notable here because they weren't involved in the quarterback free agency process. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida didn't need to because Graham Mertz stayed. Um, Mertz was not the, you know, wasn't an all sec player for the Gators, but he was accurate. And if nothing else, he's going to be the bridge and the experience that DJ Lagway, the five-star incoming recruit is going to need to, to take his game to the next level, whether he's starting this year for the Gators or, or whether he's, you know, looking to start in 25. So that was a good get for Graham Mars to stay at Florida. Um, and the other one is Byron Brown at USF. Um, you look at all of the guys, all the quarterbacks at, at all up, all levels up and down the sport that entered the portal. Byron Brown did not. Um, 
you look at some of the group of five quarterbacks who who left. You know, uh, Grayson McCall, um, the, uh, the the quarterback at UNLV, said at the bowl game he was going to stay. Eight, he was a three thousand yard passer for UNLV. Eight days after that, he enters the portal. Like th- this is such a fluid situation, and Byron Brown stuck with the Bulls. And I think honestly that is one of the pickups or roster moves, I guess, or non-moves. Um, that's certainly the Bulls' best of the season and and one of the best they've had in quite some time to keep him there in another year with Goalish with the chance for USF to really, really make some noise in the American next year. It's huge. I mean, the, you know, football at any level, college, pro, Pop Warner, if you've got the quarterback, uh, that that's such a big piece in that, you know, if, if, if he has that much confidence in that coaching staff now, you know, if he goes out there and, hangs up 5,000 yards, he may get many offers to go someplace else. But um, for him to stay there, that's that's a, a great feather in that coaching staff's cap. And, um, you know, they they had a pretty big turnaround already. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do with him uh, coming back uh, in year two. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's get to what is going to happen here pretty soon. Uh, they're going to play for this thing called a national championship. And yeah. I'll tell you this, uh, it, it was much-watched TV. As, as late as the second game was, yes, I stayed up, and I was glad I did. Those two games were as fine of uh, products as college football has put out uh, for meaningful games, Come both of them coming down to the last play. Um, so let's start with, uh, with Alabama and Michigan – uh, what impressed you? I mean, listen, I, I really thought Alabama, they're, they're there right there on fourth down, you know, uh, and they run the draw play and, and a low snap, I think kind of messed up the timing, but what was your takeaway from that semifinal? My takeaway is that out, I'll start with, with Alabama. They're just not quite there. They've just got more issues than you typically see from a Nick Saban team. You know, Milrow's a good player. He's not a great quarterback. Um, just just the silliest stuff, the bad snaps, right? That's the thing that jumped out to me because the Nick Saban teams that made him the greatest coach ever, they didn't do that type of stuff. And, and you know, Alabama, to their credit, was there with a chance to win, um, but they just kept shooting themselves in the foot, and that's not something we've seen in the past. And I, I don't know if it's a product of saving if it was just a rough night in terms of some of the snapping if it was just you know they missed on some quarterbacks or you know a regression to the mean all of the above but that's what jumped out to me about Bam- about bama um michigan again they're just really sound you know uh they, they block and tackle really well it's one of those really boring things you know, kirby smart was asked uh before the orange bowl something about like with bowl games how much do you prepare for the unexpected and his answer was like I don't. That that time's better spent blocking and tackling because that's what it's about. And that's one of those things that jumps out when you watch Michigan. They just block really well and they tackle really well. Um, there were times when they were able to scheme guys open. You know, some of the guys coming out of the backfield or, you know, Roman Wilson uh, scooting open, they did a good job with that. But they just do a lot of the basics really, really well. And they've got a lot of talent too. And when you kind of put those two together, you get a team that's uh, favor to win uh, in the, the title game and finally break through with Harbaugh. Yeah, and I listen. I know a lot was made of the stuff that they went through, right? The the us against the world, the sign stealing, Harbaugh being suspended, and and all of that. Um, but you know this, uh, Matt. I, I think the best teams are led by players, right? And For sure. What, whatever that does. Look, I I look at a guy. I mean, you know, last year Blake Corum didn't get a chance to play in this game. Uh, that guy's a stud. I mean, like yep. they got they got some dudes, as you like to say, but they also have dudes that have been around and been through some stuff, right? And and so I think it's I think it's one of the closer. And I don't know this. I'm I'm, I'm a million miles away from the Michigan program. I met Harbaugh one or two times, 
but I, I it just feels to me like it's a it's a very close knit team that that uh, plays for each other and and doesn't panic because they've got a lot of experienced players on that team. They they do, and we, we've spoken before about Florida State, and one of the keys to them this year was the talent retention, yes. not just acquiring it but keeping it. Keeping Mich- it, yeah. Michigan. And, and and Washington to a degree as well. It, Michigan w- did a really good job of keeping that talent. I think they had the uh, an NIL group. I think it was called the One More Year Fund or something like that. Okay, where the stated goal was here's five guys or whatever it was. Our goal is to make it worth their while to stay Come here back. for another mm-hmm. year instead of being a fourth round pick, third mm-hmm. round pick, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, Quorum was one. I think the tight end was one. And, yeah. and when you see that stuff. Um, that, that's NIL working for, with a specific purpose in mind, and it yeah. clearly paid off because you're right. They, they are an experienced bunch that's been around. They've seen some stuff. They've gotten better over the, over the years with, with Michigan from where Harbaugh had the can't get over Ohio State hump to you know then couldn't win a playoff game, and now he's won one with a chance to win it all. Yeah, no, it, it, it was very impressive. And um, so we'll, we'll move on to to – what what I think is sort of this star kiss team of Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Listen, I the games that I've watched, the most exciting college football games I've watched this year, all involved the Huskies. It was the uh-huh. two Oregon games and that semifinal. And I am absolutely uh, mesmerized by Michael Penix Jr. because I have not seen a quarterback – uh, and yeah, granted, he's from Tampa, and so there's some interest there. But I've not seen a quarterback who throws from the pocket with anticipation and accuracy the way an NFL quarterback should. And and he does it time and time and time again. And you think there's no more big plays left in the bottle, and he comes up with one more. His receivers make catches. It's so impressive that they're never out of a game. No, they're they're not. You know, the, the quarterback is, I don't want to say it's the great equalizer, but if you've got a really good quarterback, you always have a chance. And, and Washington is more than just a really good quarterback, but they have a great quarterback. <laughs> and, and and that's enough to, you know, again, I don't think they were, I don't want to minimize Washington's talent, but I think star for star, dude for dude, I, don't, I think Texas top to bottom probably had more. That's um, fair. Yeah. I think maybe Oregon top to bottom probably had more. Mm-hmm. Um but when you've got a quarterback that can put you over the top, that's the difference. And that is the difference for this Washington team where Michael Penix isn't just good or very good. He's great and playing at just, man, it's just so fun to watch him. Uh, you know, he, he can move, um, not necessarily looking to run and to scramble, but extend plays, mm-hmm. roll out, and mm-hmm. then throw a laser to somebody mm-hmm. and throw it in really, really tight windows yeah. and, and do so at, at all levels of the field. I mean, he's putting on a clinic, and as long as he's there and as long as he's healthy, they've got a chance to win any game. And, you know, I, again, I think Michigan, just like Texas, probably top to bottom, has more talent. And But if Pennix plays at that level, you know, McCarthy w- was good. I, don't Don't get me wrong. But Pennix is on another level, and if Pennix plays at that, you know, continues to do this, they're absolutely going to have a chance in there. Yeah, I mean, JJ is what twenty five, twenty six, and one. But he, he he missed some throws. He made some great plays, mm-hmm. but he missed he missed easy throws, and and does not hit guys in stride sometimes, and it cost him first downs and touchdowns and everything else. But like, yeah, it's it's impressive uh, just to watch that quarterback. Now here comes here comes the big question. And I think you may address this in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. He's a Tampa guy. He's a Florida guy. He goes to Indiana. He got hurt. But he did some stuff up there at Indiana. It wasn't like he was unknown. When this guy goes back in the transfer portal, how the hell does he wind up 2,500, 3,000 miles away in Seattle? Why isn't he in the state of Florida? Well, you ask a good question, but let's back it up a second here. This, the Florida schools had three different chances to get Michael Penix Jr. Good and point. they all failed. Good point. Right? Like, uh, it, you know, heading into his, uh, I guess it was the spring of his junior year, heading into his senior season, he committed to, to Tennessee. And, okay, he went to a, a national a program that's won national championships in the SEC. You can't necessarily fault him for that. But then when Butch Jones got fired and Jeremy Pruitt took over, um, in that transition, Penix, you know, 
lost his spot. It wasn't going to work with, with him in Tennessee. So he had to reopen his recruitment. And again, any of, of the state schools could have taken him, and, and none of them got him. And then again, as you, you said, a, after he transferred from Indiana, there were other opportunities. You know, he, he went to UCF in, in that process as well. And then Washington ends up getting him. So they, so clearly he was a miss. Like there's nobody that this, the state schools have had in the last five years better than that him. were better than Penix. No. So he was a miss. Um, what's interesting is, is the reasons why, where you look at like Miami and Florida didn't, they, they just weren't particularly interested. Florida mm. saw, saw him as somebody who was raw, who was pretty, you know, he was thin, he was wiry and they liked other guys better. You know, they went after Justin Fields and couldn't get him. Um, they ended up getting Emory Jones in that class and we'll come back to him in a second. He was fine. He, he had a, he had a fine college career, started a bunch of games, but he wasn't Michael Penix. Um, USF was on him early. They were one of the first schools to offer him. And Sean King, the, the former Bucks, uh, mm-hmm. the former Bucks quarterback, um, said, you know, told me uh, recently, like he was number one on my board. He, I thought he was the best player in the state. I wanted him bad, mm. um, but USF couldn't get him. Um, it, they had a relationship. Willie Taggart built a relationship um, with, with Penix when he was at USF, and then Willie goes to Oregon, and and mm. things didn't quite reset. You know. Um, uh, Charlie Sean, Strong. Yeah, yeah, it was the Char- Charlie Strong regime, right? Uh, Sean King told me that there was some, at least there was some opposition in the building in terms of on that USF staff that didn't want a lefty quarterback. Just, I knew we were going to get to that. I, I, yeah, so, well, I think that's a real thing. There's a lefty bias in football sometimes, and I think it's a real thing that coaches, in whatever it is in their heads, feel like you know offenses are right-handed, and I don't want to flip everything around. I really believe that. Correct. And I've had, I've done, I did a story on this a couple of years ago. I think it was when Malik Zaire was getting ready to start at Florida. Um, and different coaches view it differently. Some do maybe want to change their offense, flip it around. Do we move my left tackle to right tackle to protect the blind side? Sure. Do we have a, a strong tackle and a weak side tackle, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I've also had quarterback coaches say, yeah, he, he puts, his hand, instead of it going one way when he gets the ball from center, it's it's the opposite hand on top, mm. and and the ball spirals the other way. It's it's not a big deal. So it, it's d- different staffs view it differently, but at least there was some opposition on on USF staff, according to Sean King, who again was there at the time, mm-hmm. um, to to Penix because he was a lefty, um, and then Florida State's an interesting one in this as well, because uh, again Willie Taggart was very high on on Penix um, at USF. He offered him a scholarship when he was at Oregon, and then Willie got to Florida State uh, in that you know December 2017 after Jimbo left. And there's really you know he had what ten days, nine days, something like that to put together the recruiting class, which was just in complete shambles. So he's looking at at quarterbacks, and you know Josh Newberg now is at on three, who was at two four seven Sports at the time, um, told me that you know. Penix didn't really get an offer from Florida State. Whether it was really? an offer, whether there's a committable offer, like there, there's a lot of gray area in recruiting. Yeah. But the bottom line is, according to Josh, Florida State and, and Willie Taggart, that staff, preferred Emory Jones. And they thought they were going to get Emory Jones oh, wow. there at the end because Emory was in the process of de- of decommitting from Ohio State or had decommitted. Anyway, he was on the market. And uh, up until the 11th hour, the you know, 11th hour, 58th minute, uh, Willie thought that he was going to get uh, uh, Emory Jones. And then Emory instead went to Dan Mullen because Dan was the first guy to offer him a scholarship back when Dan was at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. And then by that time, it, it, it was too late. And, and Penix ended up at Indiana. There's some Tampa ties to that too. Tom uh, Allen, yeah. Uh, t- right, Tom Allen, who's you know, coached at Armwood and, and Temple Christian. Um, so... He knows this area really well. Uh, the quarterbacks coach at Indiana, Nick Sheridan, had spent time at USF, so he had some connections in this area. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing to remember, too, um, Jason Roberts, the Tampa Bay Tech high school coach, shout out to the Titans, um, he, he told our Joey Knight recently that when Indiana recruited Penix at the very end of this cycle, headed to this early signing day push, they sent all 10 staffers, all the, the, the 10 paid coaches, went to visit Michael Penix. He had oh, wow. never seen that happen before. Wow. Where it's not just the head coach and the offensive yeah. coordinator or whatever it is. 
literally everybody shows up at Tampa Bay Tech and at you know to, to visit Michael Penix Jr. Right. That's the type of kind of all-in push that mm-hmm. ended up with with Penix signing at Indiana and becoming one of the top couple players in school history, and then the connections and what he did at Indiana with, with Kalen DeBoer when he uh, went to the Hoosiers and got that job. You know, a couple years later, ends up at Washington. They made music together at IU, then make music together at Washington, and here they are now, four quarters away from a national championship. Look, I, I can tell you that uh, if you're a college athlete of any kind, like that coach relationship, you you better have trust. And sometimes when you're just on campus a few times, if you'll feel it or you won't. The other thing is you'll talk to other players about it, you know, yep. and, and, and you get nervous feelings about what they say about their coach, even though they're still there. And so that's that's just that's the secret sauce, right? The guy has to be comfortable. Um, and obviously he was he felt the love. He, he felt comfortable with uh, with Indiana. And and now he does certainly at Washington. And boy, what a. What a magical year. Look, I know who you voted for for the Heisman Trophy, and the numbers are outrageous, and, and you know, it, it's a done deal. But, man, uh, that guy's had some Heisman moments throughout this year, uh, and it might just be that he wins the national championship on top of that. So let's get to the game. Um, how does it go? Who do you like? Is it is it going to be similar in that it's not a real high-scoring affair because Michigan will keep the score down by running the football or – does Penix force their hand and they have to try to get up and down the field with them? I think Penix forces their hand. I, I think he can score on anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think that offensive line, you know, they won the Joe Moore Award for the best line in the country. Um, they're not going to push Michigan around. I don't think he can do that, but they're going to hold their own. And, you know, Johnson, the running back for Washington, is quite good. And by all accounts, he's probably going to be healthy enough to play and should be good. Again, we've talked about those receivers. I freaking love Roma Dunze. Like he is an absolute dude. Like when you're talking about your top 10 players in the country, he's on that list. Um, He's going to be a a top 10 pick or whatever. And he's going to be a star in the NFL, I think. So, and then there's other really good receivers around him too. So I I think Washington's going to be able to score. Um, I, I don't know that Michigan is going to necessarily be able to keep up with them. Um, Mm -hmm. So as I, as I, I'm talking myself into Washington, I really am. I, I don't know if it's just that, Sometimes old habits die hard, and I was not sold on Harbaugh for a long time at Michigan just because he couldn't get over the hump. And I don't know, I don't think I've adjusted my convictions quite enough because he's done a great job the last couple of years. And, and you know what Michigan has done this year has been fantastic. Um, but I st- there's a tiny part of me that's still not sold, and I can't figure out what it is. But I think in this situation, with Penix playing at this level. I don't think Michigan's going to be able to slow them down enough. So I, I know, I, I know Michigan's a four and a half point favor or whatever it is, but I'll take the Huskies. You heard it from Matt Baker. If you're out there thinking about who you should put the money on, no, um, do not do that. Do not do that. Do not listen to me. <laughs> Goodness gracious! <laughs> it's it's Tampa Bay Times Bet USA. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, here's what I would say. I, I think you're right in this aspect about uh, about Washington and why this is bad for Michigan. And even though they throw the football, uh, Washington does, Matt, they eat up huge amounts of clock. Like, this is a team that if you're third and 12, they're going to get a first down. It's not a big deal. And so they they will clock you to death, and you won't have many possessions because they're so efficient at, you know, moving the chains when they need to. It's not all 50-yard passes, and then you're kicking off again. No, no. They can – they can be explosive and get the big plays, but you're For right. Sure. They, they they can they can they can just keep moving the chains, and mm-hmm. I think that just makes them a very very dangerous team. And you know what we saw too with, with Trice, the uh, the defensive end for Washington. They've got some playmakers on that side of the ball too. So it, Washington isn't this uber talented uh, team where they've got five stars on top of five stars. They're they're not that. But their high-end guys are good enough, and they've got a special, special quarterback, and I think that can be the difference. Yeah, the lack of of possessions really frustrated Texas, and uh, uh, there's nothing they could do about it to get them off the field. All right, he's Matt Baker, and he's going to solve all the problems in college football. If you don't believe me, just read the Tampa Bay Times and tampabay.com. 
Matt, enjoy the national championship. We will uh, talk to you uh, more in 2024, and Happy New Year. I have, let, me be, let me be the last to <laughs> welcome you and say Happy New Year because we're a couple days down the road. Oh, you too. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right, great talking to Matt Baker. We're going to get you ready for the Bucks and the Carolina Panthers NFC title on the line. Bucks win, they're in. They lose, they're done. So a pretty major uh, consequence there. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are uh, on the road. They play some familiar faces now uh, with Pat Maroon. And Steve, is it Bogosian that's playing Zach on the Bogosian, they're in Minnesota to face the Wild tonight. So they'll yeah. get to see some old friends. As well as Joe Smith from the Tampa Bay Times, now in, yeah. now in Minneapolis. Yeah, Mikel Sergachev placed on IR on Wednesday, so uh, that's not good. assuming he will not play, which means the Lightning will probably have to go with five defensemen again. Yeah, that's, that's a tough injury. They miss him for sure. So all of that we'll have a chance to discuss uh, tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 